Okay, let's see here. I got the checklist. Tough, beautiful actress, exotic locations, parkour, climbing, yeah, uh, shooting two guns at the same... Nope, nope. This time we're going with the bow and arrow, elaborate jumping, lots of running. I mean, a lot of running. Complex puzzles that could never have been created a thousand years ago. Yep, need that. And uh, zero real world physics where gravity only works every one. Hey guys, I think we're doing a Tomb Raider movie. This is Troy Sauer, Brad Croft, Jose Teneza, <laughs> and this is Not a Bomb. <laughs> Welcome back to a brand new episode of Not A Bomb Podcast. We are still talking about video games this month. And just a reminder, this is a show where we go back and talk about movies that bombed at the box office or the critics just had a field day tearing apart. Brad, uh, this week you got to pick. So we just got done talking about Warcraft. We're right in the middle of evaluating all these these, uh, video game properties that were turned into films that, you know, just didn't do so hot. What, What did you pick this week? I picked 2018's Tomb Raider, kind of based on the rebooted video game from 2013. Okay. And we had to bring back one of our favorite guests, Jose. How are you doing, man? This is, I'm excited because we get to talk to you. Good. I know. Long time no see. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. We just got done uh, hanging out yesterday watching a classic film, Ninja Commando, which I can't say enough about how awesome it is. And then once you see, I got to ask you this, Jose. All day, were you singing the Ninja Commando theme song? Commando, Ninja. Yeah, 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 yeah I was. All day long. <laughs> <It's> great. <laughs> and you've, you've seen that film, right, Brad? I have. I've always seen it once, um, but it's now that you mention it, now I'm like, okay, I, should I watch that after we're done here tonight? And just like, <sighs> it's got, it's got dinosaurs it's pretty and fantastic. ninjas yeah. and time travel, and it's pretty awesome. <laughs> But listen, today's all about video games. Now, Brad, you picked this. Is Tomb Raider one of those video game franchises that you've like played every one of and it's like one of your Uh, favorites? Yes, because I had a PlayStation 1 and that was one of the quintessential games you had to play on the PlayStation. And then just recently, they kind like I said, they they rebooted the series. Uh, I think it went like 2013 and then I think they did another one in maybe 17 and then... I don't know. I don't know the order, but they did reboot it in 2013. Um, and I like that trilogy that they just kind of completed um, like two years ago or something like that. Shadow of the Tomb Raider was the last one. So, yeah. And they were done sort of as a prequel to the Laura Croft story, right? 2013 was sort of a, an origin story video game. Is that right? Yes. Because like at the end of it, she was like, now I am the Tomb Raider. Yeah. Yeah. It was fun. I remember I played, I think, two of them. I haven't played the the third one. And I will say the, the first one, that reboot they did was pretty fantastic. And I remember playing the the older video games. They they were they were they were they were a lot of fun, but man, they, I, I think they're they don't a little hold hard. up very well. Yeah, they're hard to play yeah. today. 
Um, yeah. Jose, how, what's your exposure to, to the Tomb Raider video games? Big fan or? I honestly, other than knowing that, uh, um, Rona Mitra was one of the, uh, models for the first Tomb Raider, that actress, other than knowing that I've never played the games. I've had no experience, um, with them. I, I do seem to remember, were there novels that they made of the prequels? I think there were some like Lara Croft, Tomb Raider novels that they spun off as well. I'm sure they did. I'm sure they did. Yeah. That was during that time where they were like, oh, to get more of the backstory, read the novel. Oh yeah. I don't want to do that. Yeah. I think they did that with the Hitman too. Right. I think Hitman had its share of novels too, but I'm really more familiar with, I think the, the movie franchise than I am with, uh, video games all right so the angelina jolie films uh laura croft oh. tomb raider and then what was the second one i love them what was uh, uh cradle, of laura, life. cradle of life laura croft hit cradle of life so that was, yeah. it's pandora's a, box right in yeah. that like mm-hmm. the, yep and you you like those two right jose oh they're fantastic fantastic what they're what not okay. so fantastic all right let me just say they're not great movies but they are a lot of fun to watch pretty fantastic the second one they almost tried to make her like a female James Bond. And so they definitely were tripping everywhere around the globe. And she had weapons and like fun gadgetry and stuff. Yeah. Okay. It was a grander scale than, than the first movie. And that's a good point for anyone who doesn't know what this is. It's basically your female Indiana Jones. Well, yeah. Yes. So yeah. when they get a, yeah. when they get away from that and go more to like James Bond, you're kind of missing the point. Yeah. Yeah. I, I will profess a love for the second one, though. I, I mean, I, I'm with you. I like the first uh, and the second one. I will talk in detail because I think it's hard not to talk about those two when you're talking about uh, this film in particular. But I, I, I'm kind of like with Jose. I really enjoyed those first two, e- even the second one. And I think the second one, um, it, it's weird. I, I, f- I feel like I remember more of the second one than the first one. And that may be that I watched it. Uh, no, that can't be it because I, I just revisited both of them not too long ago. I, I don't know. I just I, I remember from the first one, that whole bungee cord sequence where the guys are breaking into the house and she's flipping around, taking everybody out. And I thought that was that was a lot of fun. And then in the second cool. one, the uh, the Hong Kong sequence on the neon, I, I, I like that action sequence. I, I really in the helicopter, yeah. Yeah, I really do think the, those films have uh, some some good action in them. I think you're overselling the second one, guys. That that second one's pretty bad. I think you're wrong, sir. Mm. Objection. It, okay. is, that, is that how that Obje- works? Uh, <laughs> Objection sustained. Thank you, Your, your Honor. This you're is no obviously drunk. <laughs> can no longer testify. I don't know. Motion to treat as hostile. Yes, please. (laughs) Treat you as hostile. Okay. Well, so why are we talking about this one, Brad? I just heard the other day that uh, aren't they trying to green light or they're working on the sequel to this? Yeah, the sequel has been in the works for a while. So it's funny. This movie needed um, to make $275 million to break even. It made $274 million, and the studio just said now – they're making a profit on it. Um, so my whoever rented this to uh, to play along with us, you are now helping this movie 
move towards the uh, sequel territory. So congratulations. Well done. Well done. Applause um, to you all. Yes. Yes. Um, you know, our huge listenership that's just moving that needle so much. Um, <laughs> I feel, I feel uh, like it is some days. There's some movies we talk about next, you know, it's like a new 4k restoration. We're like, I know. Yeah, we, Spirits, we did that. We did uh, that. Final fantasy. Oh yeah. It's getting a 4k Highlanders yeah, like, getting a 4k. Yeah, we reviewed all these, and then a couple one of weeks those, later, one they're... of those I will purchase. The other one I will just move right on by. Okay. Um, oh, before I get into it, Jose, yes, you you are the. I love you because you defend so many movies. You you are one of the people who appreciates films, pretty much on every level, and you you will defend most things. You most think, things. You think Warcraft is pretty trashy, right? Oh man, what a disappointment! Oh, it don't, was don't. That was, I got to tell you, it's a bomb. It's a bomb. And it's, you know, I, I went into that super jazzed up. I don't know anything. I I really don't play video games. So I went into that super jazzed up Duncan Jones. He's at the helm and we've got like Travis Fimmel, whatever B list. You've got CGI, all of that. It was painful to watch. It was painful. Look, thank you. Thank you. You're, you're out of order. Uh, our good friend Sammy <laughs> likes Warcraft, so we're split here. If we're we're going to start Ooh. bringing people on. Can we do a tag team? Yes. <laughs> I think I think we should. Okay. All right. All right. That's All right. old news, man. That was last week. We're on. I know. I just I wanted to. Jumping you know, in parkour. My argument. Yeah, so yeah, anyway. Yeah. Oh, so, and you know, Brad, actually, Brad, I just wanted to say um, there's a movie out there called Reminiscence. It's on HBO Max now with Hugh Jackman mm-hmm. um, from the cre- – uh, one half of the creators of like uh, Westworld and whatnot. And Rebecca That's Ferguson? A, uh, yeah, Rebecca yeah. Ferguson. Um, it's directed by Lisa Joy Nolan, who's married to Christopher Nolan's brother, John. John Nolan. Yeah. Jonathan Nolan, yeah. Um, it, I hated that movie. It was dead on arrival. It's awful. It's terrible. So if, if people are keep, pe- keeping count, Warcraft and Reminiscence are two movies I hate and will not defend. Yeah, and... <laughs> You, you want to sit here and defend uh, Army of the Dead for us as well? Zack Snyder's little... Troy, I don't know what it is about about you and that movie, but I very much enjoyed Army of the Dead. I've seen it twice. There you go, Brad. Um, there you go. He saw it twice, I, Brad. I, <laughs> hey, be nice to our guests. Okay. Uh, Tomb Raider 2018 was released uh, March 16th, 2018, with a budget of $106 million. Uh, like I said, it needed to gross $275 million. It made $274.6 million, so it didn't even break even. So technically, it is a bomb. Um, and again, people, the production budget is 106 They have to pay a lot of money to market these films and put them out. So when you say 106 that's not that's not the end-all, be-all. Um, so domestically, it makes... Can we, can we talk something that hit the, I don't know, variety deadline or something, but... Speaking of budgets, because we usually talk about what is it two times the production budget. Mm-hmm. So you said the budget was a hundred and six. One hundred six. Yep. And but they publicly came out and said it was two seventy five. Two seventy five. Yep. Yep. So Christopher Nolan was shopping his latest film around, and did you see what his demands are in terms of budget and marketing? So he gets a hundred for budget, hundred for marketing, and then he gets like full creative control. Yeah. It has to be in the theaters for, was it like a hundred days? Like it was a long time in the yeah, theater. Yeah, it was like 75 days. And then the studio yeah. could not release another film within three weeks of releasing his film. Yeah. So, But hey, he's Christopher Nolan. Not all the 
directors get that. But I, if you're Christopher Nolan and I'm a studio, I will give him whatever he wants. Yeah, um, but, but that's crazy. I love how ignoring, he also, yeah. ignoring, ignoring insomnia and Tenet. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and I, I kind of like Tenet for what it is. Um, I think it's a mess, but it is a cool movie to watch at certain times. But anyway, uh, but domestically, this film makes $58 million. Internationally, it makes 216, which is, you know, pretty good success. Um, opening weekend makes $23.6 million. Ranking in at number two. Ooh. Now, I, I I will say um, a film that does not come out in March, but comes out in February, that probably played a big part of this film uh, bombing was the fact that Black Panther came out February of 2018 on its way to making almost a billion dollars. Um, I believe at the time that this film came out, it was already over 600 million. So um, it was a huge success um, and probably took away some of the audience that would see this film. Wasn't 2018 the year of infinity war too? That was in the summer, right? Yeah. yeah. That was coming yeah. up in May. And I, yeah. Yeah. May. Yeah. And I know 2018 was also like crazy rich Asians too. That's all I remember that year. Yeah, That was yeah. August. That was late summer. I think. Yeah. 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 Um, so other films release March of 2018. Uh, so remember, Black Panther was in February. Uh, we have Benji. Uh, we have the remake of Death Wish, which was not good. Uh, with Bruce Willis. Mm. I, like I, I haven't said I this any. It. I haven't said this any time that you've come on the show, and I've always wanted to. No way, Jose. That is not a good movie. Uh, <laughs> Jose, wah, there it is. Wah, I, there I got it your is. back on that one. I, I enjoyed the uh, Bruce Willis Death Wish. Mm-mm. Yeah. Uh, strangers, <laughs> strangers pray at night. Hey, not all jokes are a hundred percent. A wrinkle in time, gringo. Um, what else? Ringo, no, gringo, uh, gringo, Mel Gibson, gringo. No, that's no. uh, yeah, no, this one has um, uh, oh, oh I, I remember what you're talking about, David Oyuelo. Charlie's uh, Theron, Charlie's yes. Theron, yep. and Joel Edgerton, the pot, the pot comedy. Okay, yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yep. gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Um, right. uh, blockers, which was supposed to be called cock blockers, but they chickened out and just called it blockers. Uh, Nomeo and Juliet, Sherlock Gnomes. Oh Jesus Christ! <laughs> uh, specific Rim Uprising. Uh, Ooh, Isle guilty of, pleasure. A terrible yeah. film. Ah, it's not terrible. Um, Isle of Dogs, Ready Player One. And that's about Ooh. it. How, how far was Ready Player One from Tomb Raider? Was that a couple of weeks after? Or? That was at the end of March. So it okay. would have been about two weeks after. So that, you know, that played a big part of it, too. Because um, I will yeah. say second week of this film's release, I think it makes like 10 million. And then the third week, it makes like 5 million. So it's deteriorating fast. Yeah, um, its target audience has gone on to the, to the other stuff. Yep. Yeah. Um, Rotten Tomatoes. We're looking at 52% from the critics, 55% from audience. So right uh, together there. And the uh, critics consensus goes like this. Tomb Raider, the Tomb Raider reboots the franchise with more grounded approach in a star who clearly more up to the task, neither of which were served by an uninspired original story. Ooh. I think they took a shot at Angelina Jolie in that, right? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I, if I were Angelina, I'd be a little... 
I'd be a little offended there. She was more than up to the task. You talked to the, you talked to Simon Crane who did the stunts for those movies and, and, you know, she did, she did them. She wanted to do them. She was like yeah. on the wires, like 60 feet above. She, she had a personality um, too. It was cool. Yeah. Uh, for context, I looked up the box office returns for the original Laura Croft, Tomb Raider and Tomb Raider Cradle of Life. Laura Croft Tomb Raider makes $274 million. Which, <laughs> Are you serious? That, yes. Wow. Do you know what the budget I mean, was on that one? It, it, it was like, it wasn't as much. Okay. Um, so yeah. it was a hit. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, they greenlit a second one pretty much right after. Cradle of Life, 160. So not not, not great. Not great. That's why we didn't get a third a third Angelina um, Tomb Raider. Yeah, they couldn't finish the trilogy. Oh. Or the Trinity, if you will. Okay. Oh. Wow. Good, good one. Okay, guys, that's all. That's all the jokes I got today. I'm done. By well, the way, I was going to say not only did the not only did the first Angelina make pretty much the same as the Alicia Vikander Tomb Raider, but they both are Oscar winners, right? Yeah, that's right. So supporting actress, Angelina right? got the Oscar for Girl Interrupted. Um, I think, yeah, Girl yeah, Interrupted, Girl and then. V Condor for uh, what was it? The Danish girl, Danish girl, mm-hmm. supporting actress. Yeah. Well, that's. Did you? Did you? So you had mentioned this, Brad. I think uh, when we were talking about this last week, if you go and look at some of the poor reviews for the latest one, is it fair to say that the ones who really go after this one do so by comparing it to Angelina or the first two films? I mean, I feel like a lot of the reviews that I saw of just the user reviews, it's usually, hey, that's not my Tomb Raider. Or that's not yeah, my Laura Her boobs are big enough. That's not my Tomb Raider. Yeah, it's crazy to me. It is so <laughs> that's crazy That's literally to me. how it goes. Yeah. I can't believe that they got this girl who doesn't have huge boobs to play Laura Croft. I, I can't believe people are so wedded to the image of a big boobed um, Laura Croft that they can't let it go. Have you been on, have you been on the internet before? Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, there's this thing called the internet and people, boys are obsessed with boobs. Games are obsessed with boobs. Most days it's terrible. Cats and boobs. So let's talk about the people who worked behind (laughs) the scenes as well as in front of the camera. We're going to start with the director. I love this guy's first name. Roar. Roar. Oh my God. I can't wait. Say his name. Say his name. Utag. (laughs) Roar Utag. Yes. Norwegian film director. I'll give it. Okay, I'll give it to you. Yeah, do you, do you know have you seen anything from Roar Utag? I've seen The Wave. Okay, really? Nice, nice. Did you not uh, watch Cold Prey from 2006? It's a Norwegian slasher film. Oh, I've seen that song Yellow, right? Sorry. That's what? Okay, I'm done. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> no. <laughs> you said you were done with the jokes. I know. Jeez. I can't be done with the jokes. <laughs> no, Jose, did, I, I know you're uh, a horror movie fan. Have you ever checked out Cold Prey from 2006? I did. So, um, actually, I dove, I dove into the Danish alphabet or the Norwegian alphabet, actually. And apparently the way you really say his name is it's Ruar Utag. Ooh. Is how you pronounce it. <laughs> say um, cool. like you say it's so cool. I, yeah. I still like roar. Um, like roar. How come the roar, non-white guy roar. on the podcast <laughs> say it better than the two white guys? I don't understand this. <laughs> so he'd never actually been on my radar until I had seen this film, and then 
you know, knowing that the podcast was coming up, I had seen the wave before, but I specifically sought out Cold Prey, which was one of his first movies in 2006. Yes. Um, its original title is Fliegtwild. Um, and then I also saw Flucht uh, or Escape. Um, and actually looking at all three of these movies, it, I'm not surprised that a studio head or executive somewhere said, this is the man to make this movie. Um, because there's, uh, if I can make a comparison to another director, um, you know, Utag is sort of like Norway's uh, Neil Marshall. Um, he does do genre stuff. So Escape is kind of like, um, it reminds me of Centurion in some ways. It's oh, like yeah, set yeah. in Norway after like, um, uh, the Black Plague is like ravaged the world or whatever. Um, and then Cold Prey, that's a slasher. And then um, The Wave or Bulgen, as it's originally titled, was like a disaster flick with some history base to it. Um, but again, he he does a lot of this character study, character development, which you can totally see in in, in this film. Um, but he can also stage a good scene and and, and you know follow through with some good production values. So he's actually a pretty strong director based on me seeing those, those movies. Yeah. I can, I can say that cold prey and its sequel, which he didn't direct, but they, they are fun, uh, foreign slasher films. And I mean, it, it takes place in sort of this, uh, Antarctic blizzard, icy tundra kind of thing. And, and it's a lot of fun. If, if you haven't seen either of those, check them out. I it's <laughs> the wave. I, had no idea that I owned it. And apparently I own it. Haven't watched it yet. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's on, <laughs> sit, sitting on the to watch pile, but yeah, you, you mentioned a couple of films, um, magic, uh, silver in 2009 escape in 2012, the wave in 2015. And then he did tomb Raider in 2018, the writers. Um, so there, there's a couple of story credits going on here. You've got Geneva Robertson, Dorit did screenplay and story. Uh, Alistair Siddons did screenplay and Evan Doherty was credited for story. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about Geneva first. Um, Tomb Raider was the first movie that I think this person did, but they also followed up the following year with Captain Marvel in 2019. And then Alistair did Trespass Against Us in 2016, then Tomb Raider. Now this gets interesting. Evan is only credited with the story but you've got Snow White and the Huntsman. I apparently did the screenplay for that. Killing Season, Divergent uh, from 2014. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles reboot in 2014. And then Tomb Raider. I, I got to say, yeah. between... So I agree with you, Jose. You would look at this director. And I, I know Marvel has been doing this too. They look for somebody that might have a unique vision uh, for what they're trying to do. And they do gravitate to, I, I don't know if I would call, I, would you call him an independent director? Like somebody outside of the, yeah. okay. Yeah. So they're bringing an yeah. independent director in um, and then they're hiring screenwriters that I don't necessarily think are a list, but they have some, well, Geneva's first screenplay, but Evan and some of these others they're they've worked within the studio system they've done some moderate hits. I don't, I don't think anything that's been too amazing per se. Um, you didn't think the Huntsman movies were amazing. They're, they're okay. Uh, that first one was okay. That yeah. second one I thought was pretty bad. I, I can't, I look at the list of I films. Like them both. Yeah. I, I look, I look at the list <laughs> of, of films here yeah. and I, all I see is 
most of this stuff is okay. I mean, even Cold Prey, I like a lot, and it's interesting for being a foreign slasher film, but at the end of the day, it's still okay. It's not like one of the films that you you catch and you go, wow, I got to tell everybody about it, right? Uh, and, and since we're talking about an action film, and Jose, this is where I rely on you, I, I went, it's, I kind of sifted through all the credits to kind of see who was working from coordinator, also, uh, uh, from a stunt perspective as well as fight coordinator. Just a side note real quick, there are more credits for special effects or visual effects than stunts. It's about a five to one ratio. I mean, it's ridiculous. If, yeah, it's huge. It's a huge list. Yeah. If, if you actually look at the behind the scenes, most of the production budget looks like it went to the special and visual effects. And the stunt crew was not as big as I would have thought it to be for an action film called Tomb Raider. But here we go. We've got Mark Henson. He was the stunt coordinator. He has 102 stunt coordinate uh, credits. He's worked on tons of films. Most recently, he did the Witcher TV series. And yep. he actually worked as a stuntman on the first two Tomb Raider films. He wasn't the stunt coordinator, but he was a stuntman. And Anthony Mo Marai was um, a stunt coordinator as well. Now, his filmography it it's not too impressive there's a lot of junk on there like <laughs> scorpion king 2 and starship Jeez. troopers 3 that's the caliber it stuff is true. He's yep <laughs> and then you've got the fight coordinator which is grant powell again some problematic choices in his filmography you've got deep blue c2 in 2018 he also worked on that he was the mm -hmm. stunt coordinator <laughs> and uh, the same year, he also was a stunt coordinator on the Scorpion King Book of Souls. So that's uh, that's the people that are doing your stunts. Yeah. Well, I mean, so I, I think this is like an overseas kind of movie that they filmed, you yeah. know, in Europe. Um, I think there's even some South Africa in there. Um, yep. They did some location stuff in South Africa. Um you know, but a lot of these, a lot of the stunt personnel. So, for example, Mark Henson, you know, he, he it's mainly like some television stuff. So Vikings yeah. also um, his dark materials, which, you know, if you ever saw the Golden Compass with uh, Daniel Craig and Nicole Kidman, it's from the same source book, um, his dark materials. But that was a BBC series, which apparently is fabulous. I've not seen it. Um, and he's done some stuff for like, you know, um, Sherlock Holmes, I think the sequel, yeah. as well as the coordination um, there as well. So it's, you know, it's, are they the most amazing credits ever? Probably not. Um, but no, they're substantial. I think they're substantial and, and, and it works. I mean, I watched, you know, I saw Vikings. Those were really, really good fight scenes. Um, I mean, everybody can't be 8711 action designs. So. No, no, no. I, and I don't, I don't, I don't think they can be, but you know, I'll say Mark Hansen brings some credibility in that he's totally. got a lot of experience and the movies that he's worked on has been a really good combination of stunt work and special effects. So he's no yeah. slouch, but also keep in mind, Mark Hansen isn't going to put something in your face that uh, you're, you're going to sit there and go, wow, I've never seen anything like that before. Uh, at the end of the right. day, he's, he's a really good stunt coordinator has a ton of experience, but he's just a really good stunt coordinator. I mean, that, that's about as, that's what you get, right? Right. So let's talk about the people in front of the camera. 
Alicia Vikander. Oh, wait, actually, oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Can I go? Yes. May I go back for go production right personnel just yep. really quickly? Yep, yep. Okay, so. Is, um, and side note, this is um, my favorite part of bringing you on the show because I look I look at some of the main players, but I'm always amazed at what you will go through in the credits and bring back and you'll start <laughs> listing all these people with this, I don't know, seven degrees of separation to something crazy. And I love it. So, yeah, hit us. Well, here we go. <laughs> um, well, back, back. So back to the writers. Um, so you mentioned Geneva Robinson Dwarit, mm-hmm. and it is true she doesn't have a lot of a lot of credits, right? And in fact, her writing on Cap- Captain Marvel she shared with two other writers, right? Yeah. Um, uh, but I haven't confirmed this, but I think she is part of some sort of Paramount writers room because. She has also been credited with some sort of unreleased Star Trek sequel. And then she is working on the Hasbro shared universe movies, which are going to uh, link up with Snake Eyes. Um, So these projects that she's part of are G.I. Joe Ever Vigilant, which is going to be the next G.I. Joe sequel. Um, Mask, Mobile Armored Strike Command. I don't know if you remember those toys. Yes, I remember that. Um, they're, they're also planning a Micronauts movie. If you remember that, yep. um, visionaries Knights of the magical light. Um, that's another movie. And then Rom space night, which oh I'm yes, totally Rom. dying for. So I'm for absolutely Rom. dying for, I cannot wait. So maybe we just have not seen her untapped potential, but I think she's just been slaving away in, in sort of Paramount's writing room. Basically. Yeah, I, I didn't bring that because if you go to IMDb, she has so many upcoming projects listed under her name. So I yeah, I do think you know Paramount specifically is tapping her for a a bunch of properties that are that are yet to come out. Now I think the problem is going to be, do they actually come out? Because these studios are not making a lot of money this year, so true. And and you say with the with the WGA, you know, you can work in a credit, you can work in like you know the writers' room, but maybe you don't get the credit. Yeah, right. So her name may not ever end up on any of these. Let's hope they do. Fingers crossed. Um, and then Alistair Siddons, um, he, I don't know if you've seen Small Axe, um, the series of films by Steve McQueen, not you know bullet Steve McQueen, but Steve McQueen who directed um, 12 Years a Slave and Hunger and um, Shame with Michael Fassbender. Mm-hmm. But um, it's Speaking sort of, of like a- Vikander. Mm. Michael yeah. Fassbender. Mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You see his um, hog in that, too, that movie, right? In Shame? Yes, I did. Yeah. I own it. It's probably been worn out from pausing, <laughs> but yeah. Um, so Siddons, <laughs> so, but Siddons wrote- um, wrote that mini series, which has to do with like race relations in London th- over a span of time. Um, uh, what's his face is in it. Mm, uh, he was in star Wars. John Boyega um, is in there as well as some of the notable actors from like black Panther or whatever, but it's supposed to be incredible small acts, which he did. And then back to Evan Doherty, the Ninja Turtles reboot was, it was, he basically joined, um, Applebaum and Nemec who were producers and writers on alias, which is one of my favorite TV shows. Um, all right, but moving on, uh, the, the DP is George Richmond. Uh, he, I think he did a fantastic job shooting this movie. I mean, there's some really great sequences, uh, he was the DP for the Kingsman movies. Oh yeah. Uh, so Secret Service and then the Golden Circle. Uh, also recently did Free Guy uh, with Ryan Reynolds. Um, he also has like forty six a a camera operator credits to his IMDb. So you know, 
for the listeners listening, obviously, you know, a camera is usually the main camera that's going to capture your wide shots or all of the important action. And then normally there, there would be like maybe a B camera or C camera, which is just angled off from the main camera um, that, that they use to like fill in or to edit or um, catch other shots. And obviously if you're in a big stunt movie, it's not unheard of to have an A, B, C, D, and even an E camera, which I saw one time on a, on a production. Um, but he is something of uh, cinematography royalty. His father is Anthony Richmond, who uh, lensed Don't Look Now, uh, The Man Who Fell to Earth, the original Candyman, and like a ton of other films. So, um, you know, more to your point, Troy, yes, here's the connection. But, you know, you know, it's, it's it, basically, I think it's in his genes, yeah, cinematography. It's a legacy. Yeah. And then one of the editors here is absolutely one of my favorite editors in the world. It's strange for some for you to hear probably somebody say, oh, I love this editor. Right. Like, I don't think a lot of people follow editors or know editors. Right. So if you're like, I think Sally Menke is probably the most famous editor. Most people know because yep. of Quentin Tarantino. But there's also like Thelma Schoonmaker, you know, all of that. And then Stuart Stuart Baird. Um, he is a legendary editor, a favorite editor of Dick Donner. So almost all of his films, you know, uh, Lady Hawk, Lethal Weapon, you know, Superman, Omen, uh, Stuart Baird was the editor on that. Most of his he also edited. Are most of his well, films Warner Brother, right? I mean, he's he's like a Warner Brothers editor, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I just I um, just finished rewatching Casino Royale, and I believe I now that you bring his name up, I think he edited Casino yep. Royale. Okay. Yeah, I was like he edited oh, a, a ton of Bond films. He also edited practically everything. I mean, Demolition Man, all of that. He has three director's credits to to his uh, IMDb resume. The first is Executive Decision, which if you've never seen, is an amazing movie. Kurt right? Russell it's and uh, very Kurt. dramatic, eerily prescient about terrorists trying to fly a plane into like you know DC. Yeah. Um, he directed that, and then he directed two other sequels: Star Trek Nemesis. And then U.S. Marshals, which was the sort of like universe-related sequel to The Fugitive. Yep. And curiously enough, Stuart Baird got the Star Trek Nemesis directing job because he agreed to do second recut edits on the original Lara Croft Tomb Raider and Mission Impossible 2. So I, I think Paramount was like, mm, Stu, can you take a look at this? Because I think our cuts are a little rough. He's like, fine, let me direct Star Trek. And that's how he got it. Wow. See, I, I, I love... <laughs> the information bomb that you just bring every time. I learned something. I did too. And also curiously enough, Stuart is uh, one of the EPs on this executive producers on it. So I don't know how he, how he got involved in that, but he had some skin in the game, so to speak. Well, we're going to talk editing when we get to our thoughts on the film, because I, I, I do think we need to address some of the editing in this film, but um, yes. let, let's talk about the cast real quick. So Alicia Vikander, a Swedish actress playing Laura Croft. She's been on the Love show her. before for one of my personal favorites, The Man from Uncle in 2015. I think she got a lot of notoriety in 2012 with Anna Karina. Oh, sorry, Anna Karina Nina. Is that how you say it? Anna Karina. 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 Yeah. Karina. She's been yeah. in Jason. Now, leading up to the Tomb Raider, um, Jason Bourne. And just recently, this year, she was in The Green Knight. Uh, mm. Ex Machina. That's probably uh, one of her biggest roles. Yep. Yep. So, the Danish girl for the I, Oscar. Yeah. yeah I Met her husband on Light Between the Oceans. Yeah. She's I, married to Michael Fassbender. Yeah. I assume you guys are big fans then. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of Michael Fassbender too. Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> and then we get Dominic West as Richard Croft, Laura's father. Now we're in Baltimore, so the I know wire. Dominic West. The wire. wire. Yeah. Three hundred. When oh. you move to Baltimore, did they give you like a DVD box set of The Wire and just say, "Here you go, welcome." Well, I. It, yes, I believe it is the welcome, yeah, the think, welcome package when, when you, you move into Baltimore City. Yeah, when you when you rent your first apartment uh, or buy your house, when you go to close your house, they they say, "Do you want the Blu-ray or the DVD of The Wire?" You and always take the Blu-ray. I always get the Blu-ray. Uh, always the Blu-ray. Always the, always Blu-ray. the Blu-ray. And I also remember him from Punisher Warzone 2008 as the villain. Um, was it Jigsaw? Was that the is that the villain? Sure. Something like that. Uh, I knew he was a Wait fan. a minute, was he? It, no, the guy with the weird cut up face. I think that was a different actor. No, that's it? Dominic West. Was it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It, I mean, it was I'm Jigsaw. Thinking, yeah, it I was believe. Jigsaw. Yeah. Yeah. They, okay. That was a, sort of a, a big villain in the Punisher comics, and, and they brought that one to life. He's also been on the show before. He was in John Carter. That's right. John Carter. Yes. Uh, Walton yeah. Goggins, Matthias uh, Vogel. Uh, Walton Goggins is the. Uh, secret weapon television actor. Oh, like dude. he's just yeah. The shield. I love him. He's amazing. Anarchy, Justified. Brad, I'm sure you're a fan of him in the Hateful Eight, Tarantino's film. Well, he's better in Django Unchained. He yes. was also in Django Unchained. Django yep. Unchained. Uh, Ant Man and um, the Wasp. I thought he was quite good in. Um, yeah, he, he's. You're right, Jose. I mean, if you could look at his filmography. The stuff that he shows on, uh, up on in terms of television, man, he's so good. So good. He's, he's a very, very – I mean, a lot of his stuff has been television. So, you know, I don't know if any of you watched The Unicorn on CBS, but he's actually very funny in that what? show. That's not a show. Is that a show? It, yeah, it's a show called The Unicorn. It's about a widowed, a widowed like, older man with, like, uh, two daughters who goes back into the dating world. And it's actually very, very funny. Why the hell is um, he's it great in it? Yeah, why is it called? I have no, oh, oh, because they say he's a unicorn. Unicorn, okay, right? Yeah, um, he's good looking. He's got his own business. He's got daughters. He's widowed, so there's no guilt. Um, he also voices on Invincible, which is on Amazon, the Robert Kirkman, um, and then his HBO shows, uh, Vice Principals, Righteous Gemstones. I mean, he just turns in really, really great work. The Shield. I remember him from like a. He did a gay movie early in his uh, filmography called Red Dirt, and he was incredibly good. Uh, you know, I think the problem with Walt is that he lost his hair too early, and I feel like if he had no, don't laugh. I'm just saying. I feel like if he had like a full head of hair and not the receding hairline he had, I feel like he'd be a huge star right now because he has the absolute charisma and talent. He's a brilliant actor. But I mean, he kind of has that receding hairline and he's kind of bald. Um, he's, I think he's really good looking, but he just doesn't get the lead roles. Um, also, he was in Shanghai Noon. So, yep. if you know, you listeners at home, the Jackie Chan connections <laughs> right there. Yeah. Well, and so another person that's in this film, uh, you would call him probably Laura Croft's sidekick, but Daniel Wu is Lou Ren. We've already talked about him because he was in last week's. Not a bomb, Warcraft. <laughs> yes, um, and I can't say this enough, folks. If you uh, if you know Daniel Wu and you liked him, uh, in what you've seen in sort of his American shows, go back uh, and watch Purple Storm from 1999 and Gen X Cops. Mm. I think those are some of his best stuff. Mm. We also get yeah, he's uh, 
he reminds me of um, Maggie Q, right? So yeah. we've got like American born. So he's born in California, but his parents are from Shanghai. Yep. Um, Wu actually went to University of Oregon. Did you know that he founded their Wushu club? Well, it's funny you bring up Maggie Q because when you talk about the Jackie Chan effect or Jackie Chan's uh, trying to continue his lineage, the two people that Jackie Chan kind of had high hopes for was Daniel Wu and Maggie Q because yep. he worked with them pretty close to try and get their deal. Because one of the things you have to realize is we'll talk about Jackie Chan's filmography, but if you were to take a step back and look at Jackie Chan as a producer, now you get into a whole interesting conversation because this guy has really tried to jumpstart a ton of different careers and yeah. take actors or actresses and mold them into the next Jackie Chan. Daniel Wu was one of them. I think the issue though is Daniel Wu came back to the States and found some success in playing on a lot of TV and movies, nothing from a, from like a starring perspective into the badlands is probably one of his biggest things that he's done over here. Uh, yeah, but again, I, I really, I really like him as an actor. I think he's really good. And he's when you talk about, you know, his work, I always point to people and just say, well, kind of start in the beginning, go back to 1999 and you can really see why Jackie Chan had his eye on him for Gen X cops and purple storm. So, well, and new police story. And then yes. he and Maggie were naked weapon. Yep. Um, and then, you know, I, I defy people to remake, or I want them to remake house of fury, Stephen Fung's house yes. of fury, so which good. I love. Daniel Wu was in that, yep. um, Yoon Wu Ping did the action. It's one of my favorite movies ever. I love it. I love it. He's great. I mean, he speaks like he speaks uh, Shanghaiese, Cantonese, and Mandarin, mm -hmm. and he's done a great number of good Chinese thrillers and kung yes. fu stuff. But I think he—it's weird. He identifies Hong Kong as his home, as a person, and his home as like an actor. And yet, you're right. I think he got caught between the, you know, am I going to be a big U.S. star or am I going to be a big Asian star? And I. I just think he couldn't make his decision. Well, I, honestly, I don't think in Asia he could. I don't want to derail, but the stuff that has been going down over in Chinese and Asian cinema, I think Daniel Wu saw the writing on the wall and says, if he wants to have a career, it's not going to be over there. It's going to be over here. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I think you're right about but that. But I'm not going to yeah. get political. So we, right. we've, we've spent <laughs> enough time on what the heck is going on in Hong Kong right now. Now they're cracking down people and finding them. If they don't like their movies. Moving mm. on. Uh, Kristen Scott Thomas is Anna Miller. She's a great actress. I mean, Four Weddings and a Funeral, The English Patient, uh, patient Gosford Park, Only God mm. Forgives. I, I wish she was in this a little bit more, but I mean, she's in it, what, 10 minutes total, maybe a couple of scenes. That's it. Who knows? Maybe there's the a sequel. second part. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Interesting stuff about her. She's actually, she has dual citizenship in the UK and France. And you're not going to believe this. Her first movie role was under the cherry moon. The Prince movie. Prince film was her first role. Holy her first film role. <laughs> Dang. I know. I'm learning so much so, today. So people thinking like, you know, oh, Kristen Scott Thomas, oh, five, you know, BAFTA the award English winner. Patient, she must yeah. have started from great things. A Prince movie, folks. Yeah. You're like <laughs> and, a, not yeah. <laughs> and not Purple Rain. And not Purple Rain. Not Purple Rain. You're walking IMDb. You went, to, you went to Only God Forgives, huh? You went yeah. with that one. Yeah. Why? You don't... <laughs> 
Oh, <laughs> I will defend a lot of Nicholas Rodney Weffern's work, but not Only God Forgives. I will not. Defend oh, that, that makes that, that makes one sure gets a lot of gets a lot of hate for some yeah. reason. Yeah, I would love to talk about that for a couple hours. Derek <laughs> Jacoby is Mr. Yaffe. 162 acting credits. This guy has been around the block. Uh, Gladiator. Yep. He was also in Gosford Park. Another. Um, I don't know. He's you. You don't know him, but then when he shows up, you're like, oh, that guy. So, uh, and, and last, he's also, but, oh, go ahead. he's also openly gay. Yep. Um, you know, he's unioned. Uh, he threw in with Lawrence, Lawrence Olivier and started the Royal national theater. Um, he and Olivier are knighted in both Britain and Denmark. Oh, and Jacoby is probably most known for being Ken Branagh's acting teacher and mentor. I knew he had a relationship with Ken Brown. It was an acting teacher and mentor. Okay. And mentor. Yep. Yeah. Cause he's been in just everything. Brenna has been in from the, for, especially for the Shakespeare stuff. So yeah. Yep. Anonymous. Yeah, yeah. Wasn't he in that movie anonymous where it was like William Shakespeare yes. didn't write his own stuff. Is yep. it that? He was yeah, in that yeah. as well. Yeah. 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 Uh, last one I want to just mention he's in it for maybe five minutes total, but Nick Frost is the pawnbroker. I think a lot oh of people God. know Nick Frost just from Hot Fuzz, Shaun of the Dead, you know, the Edgar Wright films. Uh, he's doing a lot of TV now. But uh, She burned his taters. Yes, burned his taters with the hot coffee. <laughs> but he's in there too, and I'm, I'm sure he will come up in the discussion as well. But before we get into our thoughts on the film, I do want to talk about a couple things. This, this did, you know, get nominated for some awards. Do you guys know huh? which ones? Yeah. Sound editing and visual effects. No, at the uh, 2018 Teen Choice Awards, oh, the film oh, received choice. nominations for Choice Action Movie and for Vikander as Choice Action Movie Actress. But unfortunately, <clears throat> it lost to Avengers Infinity War for action film. And oh, Scarlett, Scarlett Johansson, Johansson yeah. beat out Alicia uh, as Black oh. Widow. And then the last thing I want to mention, because we have to talk about this. So one of the things that we kind of decided we were going to talk about was some of the marketing. And I don't think there's much to talk about in the trailer. I, I will say the trailer actually is pretty good. It has some fantastic money shots in there. But two things. To promote the release of the film, Mattel released a promotional Barbie doll based on Laura Croft to tie in with the release. The doll was sculpted in the likeness of Alicia and features full articulation and a doll stand. And the doll was designed by veteran doll designer, Bill Greening as a black label collector doll. And it was released on February 19th, 2018, a month before the film. So wow. some pretty interesting marketing, but the thing we have to talk about when we're talking about the marketing is the movie poster. Brad. The neck, the neck, the neck yeah. so the neck, the let's, neck nightmare. Let's talk about two things with this movie poster. First of all, it has the awkward ass front action poster pose with the, yep. the boobs and butt posture. Mm -hmm. But as a yep. result of that, and I'm, I'm she gonna, looks like a giraffe. Yeah, she. <laughs> the, they photoshopped it in such a way to, to I guess make her face more prominent or something. I don't know what they were doing here. But they messed up the poster and gave her an odd giraffe neck. And then her head was a bit gigantic in comparison to the body. 
And so it's it's super disproportionate. But that was the movie poster that they sent out there. Did you guys take a look at that it was thing? Frightening. Yeah, yeah Jose frightening. Sent me, <laughs> sent me all this stuff about it beforehand. He was like, "Don't don't forget to remind me to uh, to talk about this." And like, oh, oh, we're we're talking about this. Well, I got to ask you guys did did you guys notice it uh, when it first came out, or did the internet make you aware of it? Honestly, I, I was only aware after I saw what it was supposed to look like, like, I, I don't know. Sometimes body poses like, sure, maybe, I don't know. I don't have an eye for that. But when you put it next to like what it should look like, you're like, Oh my God, her neck is like three feet long. (laughs) I I saw the teaser poster and I remember just looking at it and being like, something's wrong. Something doesn't look right. Um, I think there was like even a hashtag like count the vertebra or whatever. Like, <laughs> like her neck is just, it's like huge. And then when people were like remaking it with other different images, yes. it was hysterical. But yeah, neckmare is now part of my vocabulary because <laughs> of that poster. <laughs> I, I will say I'm kind of like Brad. So movie posters today, anytime I look at them, they all look weird to me because everything is Photoshopped. It's not the the actor's body. I mean, can, can you guys think of a poster uh, just recently that doesn't, I mean, this Tomb Raider action pose, it's all over the place. I mean, I think Henry Golding just did it for snake eyes too. I mean, he's got the, yeah the whole pose and everything, but I can't think of a really interesting movie poster that I've seen lately. And, and to me with all the Photoshopping and stuff like that, it's hard to notice this until somebody points it out and then you can't unsee it. But yeah. man, yeah. these these movie posters today are just they're terrible. Well, we we were spoiled. I mean, we grew up with Drew Struzan like doing these yeah. memorable uh, just I mean, they, they're literally posters. works of art um that are you know, you look at that Indiana Jones poster and you're like there's nothing else that can sell that movie like this poster. I mean, they owe so much of the success of that movie to the poster. The poster sells the movie. They don't do that stuff anymore. Um cuz it's easier just to put it into a computer. I, I don't want to like diminish what people do, but Oh, please diminish is, away because most of it's it, terrible. Yeah. You just put some stuff in Photoshop <laughs> and tweak it here, do some stuff here. And then you put words on it and put the date and that's it. And it's, and I don't get yeah. it. When, when I hear these hundred million dollar budgets for marketing, is it all on cocaine? Like 95 million <laughs> on cocaine. <laughs> Five million for some intern to come out of some California, I don't know, Institute of Design to Photoshop something. And I, I don't even it's terrible. The state of movie posters you know, is I'll, terrible. But does it matter? Honestly, honestly, that budget I think that budgeting for marketing, it just like it's expensive to put commercials on the Oscars or the Super Bowl or what have you. So I think that's where a lot of that money is going, just to get those commercials out there. And then maybe the press tours and getting the yeah. You know, the actors and stuff to get out there and do interviews. It's probably where a lot of that goes. Yeah. But, and then they just hire like college grads to like beef up the social media. Presence. I don't think they've graduated yet. Like spend an extra twenty dollars. <laughs> but but now tr- a movie trailer is so easy to obtain. It used yeah. to be a difficult task. You either had to watch TV at a certain moment or you had to go to the theater. Now you just go to YouTube and you can pull up the, you know, it's trending on Twitter. You click on it. That's the thing they focus on. The movie poster doesn't matter anymore. The trailer, the first trailer, the teaser trailer, then the real full trailer, then the last trailer. That's all I care about now because people 
Because they can actually make money off of those. You I put know. an ad in front of a trailer and then you make money. Makes me cry. Well, I, I think I think you're right. Nobody stares at the posters anymore because they're just they know they can just stream it or they can download it and then they watch it. Nobody cares about the posters. Well, except I, for us. I love what Mondo does. I lo- I love when artists come and take a film and they do their version of what the movie poster should look like. And these guys come from you know an amazing video or um, graphics design background, and the stuff that Mondo puts out there that people will spend, you know, a couple hundred dollars for just a print of a movie poster. Yeah. I, I wish they would hire these guys or, you know, the studios would get these guys to do some, some, but every movie poster is this ass, butt shot boob thing. Right. If you're a girl or let's put everybody's faces on the movie poster and there's nothing interesting about yeah. it. Yeah. Or like sexy posing, but like you weren't, you and I just talking about, um, is it vinegar syndrome? The cigarettes and champagne, oh, the champagne and, bullets? and bullets. Yeah. Yeah, that cover, like that poster is 110 times better than the actual quality of the film. Whoa. But that's how Whoa. they used to market. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Sorry. That's... But I mean, I'm just saying that that's how they used to market stuff. Yeah. They would draw you in with the posters because people weren't spending time at home or on the internet looking at trailers. They got you in with the posters. Yeah. Does anybody else miss the VHS box art cover? I mean, come on. Yeah, Some of that stuff. Me too. Yeah. All right. Hey, look, that's enough of the marketing and us griping. Like, get off our lawn. Give us good movie posters. Um, Actually, you know what? I one I one other thing. This yeah. this made it onto a second page of mine, and I apologize. So I'm gonna I'm just no. gonna add it, and then go we'll go ahead. into the movie. Yeah, yeah. Because I've just talked so much. <laughs> so the second unit director is is he's credited as G A Aguilar. But that I know him as George Aguilar, which is the name that he went by as a stunt person. So he's a longtime stunt guy. Um, I mean, a million credits, big movies, all of it. Um, he's a big time stunt coordinator. So he coordinated the Oz series and Homicide. Mm-hmm. He works a lot on the East Coast. Peacemaker, Die Another Day, tons of other films, Zombieland. Um, he is the second unit director and stunt coordinator for Many Saints of Newark, which is coming out soon. Um, but George is always going to have a space in my heart because when I wanted to be a stunt person, there was really nobody you could talk to. And so when I used to read Variety, they would have information on production personnel. And I figured out his office's phone number and I actually cold called him. Are you serious? And got him. Yeah, I'm not kidding. If he ever hears this, he'll probably be super embarrassed and deny it. But I cold called him and I was just like, look, you don't know me. I'm not looking for a job, but I want to be a stunt person. You are a huge stunt coordinator, stunt man. I just saw Batman forever. You know, it was amazing. Um, You know, what's it like? What do I do? Where do I start? And we had an amazing conversation about it it probably actually stopped me from going out to LA to do it because he was very clear about stuff. He was like, you know, like gypsy lifestyle. It's really tough to break into. It sounds fabulous, but you know, this is the hard work that you have to put into it. Um, But he, yeah, he's just really thoughtful, does really great work. It's so nice to see that he's actually still working, still doing stuff. Um, And he did the second unit for this. And some of the second unit action scenes on this are really, really great and really well done. Yeah. Well, let's get into it. I'm going to start with you, Brad. This was your pick. So we're talking about the third Tomb Raider film. Now, everybody had seen this before this watch, right? Yep. 
Did yep. you did you see this in the theaters, Brad? I did. I did. Okay. How about you, Jose? This is actually the third time I've seen this movie. Oh, okay. Um, cool. Yeah, I saw it in the theaters, and I've probably seen it about twelve times. Oh, <laughs> okay. I love it. <laughs> well, I think we know where you're going to fall in this one. Well, yeah. all right, Brad. What what are your what are your thoughts revisiting Tomb Raider? Um, it's funny that they this is about this series is about raiding tombs when the movie they raid one one singular tomb. Um, I will say I like Alicia Vikander as Laura Croft. Um, I think the beginning of this film is a little, I wish they would get to it a little bit faster. Um, and I think that the stuff with the father is a little contrived. Um, I think the, the story of this is pretty bare bones of like, yes, we're out to find this old Island because it's got this entity, this supernatural entity. And it's like, okay, I've seen, I've seen Indiana Jones. I I've, I've played, Tomb Raider before I know Uncharted like it's all the same kind of stuff but I I do like it I think uh Walter Goggins uh, Walton Goggins is a great villain it's funny I went back and played that first original game just a little bit this week just to kind of refresh on that and it's funny how much they borrow from that game like the plane sequence is literally in the game um that pickaxe plays a huge part um she's much more aggressive and much more visceral in, in the game. Um, in the game, they make a big deal. Like the first time she kills somebody, like it's very emotional and it, it plays a huge part. And then you subsequently kill thousands of dudes after that. So it kind of like <laughs> get over it. Yeah. that whole thing. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and that kind of happens in this movie where she has that moment where she drowns that guy and it's played for like pretty powerful moment. I, I just wish it was a little bit better. Um, it's it's almost there for me. And I think it's because it just drags its feet so much at the beginning. And Dominic West, like, I don't know if I like the fact that he's in this movie that much. I wish he was more of a flashback character and not a main character in this movie because I just feel like it doesn't fit. But I, I like kind of having this grounded in reality much more than those uh, other two films. Uh, those were much more, uh, you know, that was like early 2000s. So we were able to like not have this gritty, dark, real, we were able to have fun. Um, and those were fun. And this one is much more of that dark, like it's got the dark night syndrome. Is but, it, is it still fun? I mean, so it is going for gritty. It is fun. Uh, you know, there's just a, that gunplay is, is much more, um, you know, there's death. I think the boat sequence is pretty fun too. Like it's, it's, I think that's a cool boat sequence. Um, and I don't know, like I said, I just wish it was a little bit better. Um, cause I think I would enjoy it. Um, but the, the two hours time run, the two hour, uh, uh run time seemed to go pretty fast. Like when I was comparing that to Warcraft, I'm like, oh, this feels much more breezy than that film. Um, and this one has the right amount of characters. Like you have, you know, Daniel Wu's character is like her sidekick. And then there's the main bad guy. And then he's got a few henchmen that you kind of know. And that's it. So, uh, you know, even like the whole, they, they hold off on this whole Trinity thing to the very end. But if you played the game, like Trinity is like that Illuminati-esque group that's behind everything. So, Anyway, um, 
I like it? Question mark. Like I do like it. I do like it, but I, I just want more. Yeah. Um, and I kind of hope they do do that sequel because I think the setup now is you get all that stuff out of the way. Now she can just raid tombs. Like it's in the title. Let's let's raid some tombs. Um, I don't want one tomb. I want, you know, Indiana Jones always starts off like with that. Hey, we're going to get this gold monkey and then we're going to do some other, you know, that's how this needed to play. It, she needed to be. Um, I don't know if I needed the origin story of, of Laura Croft, but anyway, that's okay. my thoughts. All right, Jose, this is the 13th or 14th time. So <laughs> how, how I've seen it a lot. I've seen it a lot. Okay. Um, so I, you know, I, I feel I definitely feel what what Brad is saying with regards to the length of it and just wanting to get to it because like uh, Goggins as the villain Matthias uh, Vogel he doesn't show up until like 40 45 minutes into the film I mean it's it is a like slog for the setup and I I don't know that that was entirely necessary I agree with Brad Um, and I also agree with him that even though it was one tomb once they get into the the Himiko tomb itself, that's where the fun really starts. You know, you've got the traps and then they get it and then they finally figure out um, Himiko and like the, the plague or whatever it was that she had, the Black Death. And then there's sort of the chase through the rest of the catacombs with the other traps. Like that was exciting. I wanted to see more of that because, you know, when you think of Tomb Raider, that's what you think of. Um I think that the reason why I found it disappointing and a lot of people probably found it disappointing was it is a prequel, right? And so I think when I first saw it, I kept thinking about the Angelina movies and I think that definitely disappointed me. As I'm watching it now, I have to remind myself that it is a prequel or an origin story. So the Lara that you see in the video games is not who you're watching. She's still developing right she's still finding herself in fact that's kind of what this whole movie is about like um you know she says i'm not that kind of croft and the film is really about her in search of a calling and so when she finally decide or finally figures out like what her father has done the fact that he had these fake passports there was more to his life than just what she thought she kind of finds her calling and then it becomes, you know, well, let's find out what Trinity's doing and screwing up the Croft name and how can I like stop them? Um, I I think studio tinkering is definitely all over this. Um, Besides the fact that there are three editors besides Stuart Baird. So for me, I always feel like movies are in trouble if it opens with long exposition or explanations. And so this opens and he, you know, you've got Richard Croft, Lord Croft talking about, you know, Himiko, I traced it to an island and then I found da da da, and it was a secret blah, blah, blah. And I didn't want to leave my daughter. I'm pretty sure that that opening exposition was much more truncated. They do it twice. Um, it, it, he, they do it that, twice, which is that speech twice. Annoying. Yeah. It is yeah. absolutely annoying. Um, and so it's weird. I'm going to say that this screenplay is probably better than your average screenplay. And yet there's a lot of repetition. So not only this exposition, but there is, uh, you know, I don't know how many times she flies through the air and either grabs something or jumps onto something. I think she does it like seven times, but there's a lot of that. And it's parkour. Um, it's extreme you know, parkour. 
extreme parkour. And then these, you know, dude, I'm sorry. These, you're, you're pulling your shoulders out of the socket. Like I, I know it's a movie, <laughs> stuff, yeah. but you're like, Nope. She's, she's extreme parkour. Did you not see yeah. her like 12 pack abs in the MMA? Dude, oh my God. So ripped in this. Let's, <laughs> let's talk about how they intro this Lara craft. There, essentially there's two introductory scenes to her to sort of show you that she's like defiant. She doesn't take orders from anybody. And there's that opening fight scene and her body is just incredible. I mean, I was just like, I don't think I'm gonna eat this popcorn while I'm watching this. Like, she's amazing. Just um, chiseled. Yeah. I mean, completely chiseled. Her body, very wow. Um, and then there's this fox hunt scene where she's doing like the bike chase, and you can see that she thinks on her feet. She doesn't follow the rules. Um, she's definitely a go-getter. But it's like, did we really need that fox hunt scene? Because then later we get the Chinese thugs going after her and then we see that she can think on her feet and do these other things so unfortunately there's a lot of repetition and a lot of the fla flashbacks feel like they're sort of um shoehorned in to be like um oh look here's a flashback where she's using a bow and arrow guess what she's gonna use a bow and arrow later yeah. or whatever and so it just did you some ever of think it definitely the, felt contrived did you ever yeah. think the bike like courier thing was going to come back? Cause it played such a big part in the first act of the film. And then it never, never, she's like, never has yeah, to use it, it again. It never materialized. But I mean, I didn't expect that they would find a bike in him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're right. Like something. a unicycle. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> something, something. Um, Walt Goggins, he absolutely steals the show. I think, so that first intro scene with him, watch it again, or maybe don't watch it again. But in that monologue, he gives you so much backstory on his character in that monologue and creates this character right before your eyes. It's actually kind of brilliant it's how good. it's done. And I'm sure it's people so are going to look back at the scene and be like, Jose, you're crazy. No. But I mean... He talks about the fact that he's been marooned on this island. He might be going crazy. He has two daughters, right? So that's why he sort of has an affinity for her and doesn't want to just kill her outright. Um, and that he's working for Trinity or whatever. But he does all of that in that one monologue. Oh, and, and it's, it's absolutely brilliant. He's and great. I killed your father. He's absolutely great. Sorry. Yes. I, oh, I, and by the way, yeah. yeah. I usually <laughs> deliver this in a, you know, but now nah, I haven't talked to somebody for a while. But uh, yeah, I killed your dad. Yeah. Um, and I really, truly think that you could have had a great movie even without the father coming back. Yeah. Like you, you didn't need for him to come back. You really didn't. Um, but anyway, uh, and then what was the other thing I was going to say? One of the traps just so reminded me of like one-eyed Willie. Do you know the, um, <laughs> the organ, the, yeah. where the, the floor is falling away. Yeah. I was like, oh, it's one-eyed Willie. They had to play the tune, but instead they had to put the colors together. <laughs> we also needed Sean Connery to tell you how to spell Jesus. Yeah, you know exactly. Yep. Um, exactly. I, I think, um, I and think, the puzzles. I did like. I did like the puzzles, but but you're right. It's some of that stuff is just overly complicated. Like we get it. She's a puzzle solver. They didn't need to throw all that stuff in for us to know she could solve things. You know, how uh, the hell would you know any of that stuff? I never understand. You don't. Like, I, I mean yeah. these. I, I feel like the so you made a comment that the script may be really good. I think the script is composed of a bunch of check boxes. 
and they go through and they go. Screenwriting 101, yeah, but it's we, still good. <laughs> we, played, we played the video game, so we got to have some extreme parkour, and she's got to jump, and she's got to like solve a bunch of puzzles that in no way, shape, or form could they have ever made a thousand years ago. And there's no way anybody would have been able to figure this out in that short amount of time. But that's all the nature of the video game, right? So the exotic yeah. locations, uh, it, it this really feels like they watched the video game, took notes during the video game and said, let's go write a basic screenplay, but make sure you hit all these check boxes at various things, right? So it's a, yeah. it's a typical video game movie. It has all of the elements, but for some reason it feels cold. Like for me, it feels like you are watching a video game and somebody forgot to make the characters and the story interesting. So it looks great, but it's filled with a lot of empty calories. Now, I am with you guys. I, in my head, kind of like with Warcraft, I'm like, okay, I'm not instantly loving this thing. There are, there are parts that I love and there are other parts I'm like, really? We're, we're doing that. And so in my head, I'm making a checklist, right? So I'm like, okay, well, these are the things that don't exactly work for me. It's the typical MacGuffin adventure film. So you, you, you mentioned it, Jose, he goes through this monologue twice of the legend. And as soon as he does that, you know, exactly how this is going to play out. Like there is, you could bet your whole paycheck and you would be right and win uh, and I'm still confused why in these adventure films that there's something that's going to cause the apocalypse. And it's like, well, great, let's go get it. Leave it alone, dude. Just why? I, but anyways, that that's the I, typical. I will, I will say before just to say the the Himiko in the like the Yamatai Island or whatever. Yeah. That's straight out of the video game. Yeah. And, oh, it is. Yes, OK, yeah, that's the, the 2013. That's what you're doing. You're going to the dragon's triangle or whatever off the coast of Japan to, to find it. It's cool. I, I mean, I love the paintings in the legend. I love the look of the legend, but it's like every other freaking legend that's out there. Don't go here. Cause it's going to cause the apocalypse and we got to get it before the other guys. Right. So, you know, what's going to happen. So we put that, well, but in. I think they also, but I also think that the, that's how they introduce the whole Trinity thing. Yeah. Cause obviously they want to weaponize it right. or something or something. Well, but, yeah. So did the Germans with the Ark and everything else, right? So um, did Fauci. Yep. <laughs> Fauci and Hydra. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All of those people. So I got to ask you this. <laughs> Do you ever watch a film and there's some small detail about it that takes you out of it completely and it takes you about 10 minutes to get back into it because all of a sudden you're just you're so befuddled over one small detail so here's the detail it that happens. did it for me. She is going through her father's stuff and she picks up this Sony camcorder high eight uh, digital. And it's, how, why is it? Why, how's it's it been work? sitting down there the for seven years, seven years. <laughs> and what took me out of it was as soon as I saw that, I went, hey, I own that camera. And then when it <laughs> fires up, I'm like, that battery does not last seven years. Yeah. Shit, that thing won't last like four hours. So you have to go get the big battery. And it didn't have the big battery on the back. So I'm sitting there staring at the camera like, well, did it have a seven-year battery? Was there a seven-year battery I didn't buy? And I got, you know, anyways, that took me. Out. And then she pulls the tape recorder out, <laughs> and it works after seven years. That that took me right out of the film, and I had to go. Those batteries would have been leaking battery acid all over the place. So I was like, Troy, 
get back into this, man. You're, Maybe you're it was tuned. cold in that tomb office. Which would have made you know, it even worse. You know, the cold preserves the batteries no. a little bit sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, can we talk uh, about the editing for a second? I, I actually thought the editing, so it makes sense that there's three editors. I have a feeling that at the beginning of the film, they're looking at it with the MMA fighting and the bike scene. And then after the daily, somebody walked into that editing, editing room and like smacked them on the head and they're like, all right, cut that shit out. Like there is so many quick cuts and shaky cam and everything else, but it goes away as soon as they get on the boat. So I feel like an editor got fired or something, but I'm with you. The first 30 minutes are kind of painful to get through because you just want to go on the adventure, right? Um, You always need henchmen to uh, set the traps off. They got to be disposable. So you've got that. Here's my biggest problem with the film. You guys can disagree or agree. The lead actress, Alicia, uh, how do you say her first name? Uh, Is it Alicia or? Alicia Vikander. I I say Alicia. 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 You're more sophisticated than me. Sorry, Alicia. (laughs) Alicia Vikander. Has the acting skills of paint drawing in this film. No, she no, is, don't she's say that. Boring as shit. You think she's wooden? Ah. Wooden is an understatement. Oh. So there's one scene that she's really good in. Brad already mentioned it, which is the first kill. I, I thought, oh, yeah. whoa, what's, what's going on? She can act. I didn't know that. But look, she has all the athleticism of the character. She does, but she has zero charm. And we get it. You have daddy issues. It's two hours of her going, I got daddy issues. I, I get that. You, It's a one note thing. You played that to the hilt. There's, there's three scenes I think she's fantastic in. Two of those is when she interacts with Nick Frost. And then the one is when she kills the guy and she's dealing with that. But it's over so quick because she's got to get out because she just remembered she was stabbed. She wasn't stabbed during that scene. And so she's doing all her stuff. But as soon as the scene's over and she killed that guy, she's like, oh, I'm dying. And then I see my dad and then she's fine again. But no, I you didn't, didn't like the you didn't like her acting in the cathartic scene where she finally gets to say to her, albeit crazy island, you know, deserted father, what she wanted to say about him abandoning her. You didn't think she was good in that? I thought somebody I behind, thought she was great in that scene. I thought somebody was standing like behind the camera with cue cards and go, just, just read here. Oh, that's a just, bit harsh. Just read here and you'll get it. Did she, I think the problem is her interpretation of this character is I got daddy issues and I'm trying to prove myself and I'm just intense. I'm going to show you intensity, intense. Look at my abs. Ooh, I, mm, I'm not, I haven't eaten like real food for three fucking years and I'm dying for ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, to be fair, in the video game, the the rebooted suit, that's kind of how they play the character. Okay. I, I will say this. Don't tell me when we're talking about a film. I know. Don't tell me about the video game. Don't tell me about the book. Don't tell me that the comic. <laughs> I want to judge the film on the basis of what I'm seeing. So, I, I, no, I get that. I get that. But if she's taking inspiration from what they're taking inspiration for the story, I can see how she's reading it that way. Oh, I, hey, she was reading the whole time. I, mean, I, I see. I see the way she played the character as somebody who, again, she's still trying to find herself. 
not only is the shadow of her father and all of his wealth and his businesses over her, there's this lingering daddy issue that she has as well. That's a, it's a lot of baggage. I thought she handled it well in terms of conveying that baggage. Um, I, I got it the yeah. first five minutes, but by minute 140, now I'm sitting there going, is she grimacing because she's tired of eating like chicken and broccoli for three years in a row? <laughs> I mean, her diet's got to be insane. Do you have a problem with Bruce Wayne? With Bruce, Yeah. I, well, that's the thing is that take something. Well, <laughs> that's a whole nother discussion because when you talk about Bruce Wayne versus Batman, what I like about that character is if you get the right actor, and this is why I like Michael Keaton so much, he... You, you get a Bruce Wayne character and you get a Batman character and then you get sequences with Michael Keaton trying to juggle that. And that's what makes his interpretation so good. He's really charming as Bruce Wayne. He's really intimidating as Batman and, and you see that difference. And then you see these elements where he's struggling with the memory of, you know, the death of his parents in, in the 89 Batman. I mean, Michael Keaton does an amazing performance in 89 Batman. I, I think, a lot of people gravitate to Jack Nicholson and forget about how good Michael Keaton is in that. She yeah. plays this whole <laughs> character one note for the entire film. And she has a couple of elements where she shines. But my biggest problem with this film is I'm sitting there missing Angelina Jolie as Laura Croft. and I, But I'm looking at her and going, man, everything about the video gameness of it the athleticism and the intensity you've got it in spades but you are just delivering the same shtick for two hours and it it gets old that's my biggest complaint like i said i think i think i cut her slack because you know this is supposed to be like the pre Lara before she becomes the tomb raider that we know but that's not and i know it sounds like I, i know it sounds like i'm complaining and criticizing the film, but it, um, I don't know. It's like, it, it, it's the same reaction that I had to men in black and the first X-Men, which was good first chapter. I wish they were better and more exciting, but it's not bad, not a bad repeat watch. That's how I felt about this one. Wait, do you think men in black two is better than men in black? No, absolutely not. Men in black two was freaking awful, but I know, I know that the, like people, you know, the, X-Men and Men in Black, I mean, everybody was like, oh, it's so great. And I just was kind of like, okay, they introduced us to the world, but it felt cold, like like Troy said about Tomb Raider. It just it just felt cold and, you know, whatever. This square goes into this square hole and this circle goes into this circle hole and, and that's and, it. And but, maybe, maybe this is my <laughs> issue. So when she's in the pawn shop interacting with Nick Frost, all of a sudden I felt like, okay, there's a little bit of life to this because you have somebody that's interacting with you that is bringing something different and you get to bounce your intensity off of, and they're not as intense as you. It, so you, you've got somebody that's maybe poking fun at your intensity a little bit, or there's a little bit more back and forth. And I think that makes that interaction interesting. The problem- It's like the best written scene too. It, it is, but here, here's the yeah. problem. Like I love Daniel Wu, but I think Daniel Wu is a problem in here because Daniel Wu is Laura Croft's sidekick trying to be a mini Laura Croft and there's no, there's, there's just nothing between those two. It's just, Oh, you're doing, well, there's we're doing no, a, I mean, there's I no chemistry. Say, there's no, 
there's no chemistry between the two of them, but he also doesn't really register either. Yeah. I like mean, he, he feels like a plot device, his character. Yes. And I was a little, I was a little disappointed. I thought that Wu would do more than just shoot and protect the old people like temple of doom style when they're all like working or whatever. Um, so his character was definitely a bit of a disappointment. I thought that he would be a little bit more action oriented towards it. So yeah, he was a little disappointing. Yeah. Does he kick anybody in this movie? No, no, I don't. I, he doesn't throw one kick. It's it's all punching and guns. Yeah, and Walton. Yeah. So I love the Walton uh, Goggins speech. I, I mean, I'm with you, Jose. You go and watch that. That's sort of a master class in monologue. Yeah. And after you're done with that, I even feel like he's looking at her, going, "Give me something," because I feel I'm I'm doing all the heavy lifting here. Like in his scenes mm-hmm. with her. I think he's in Dominic West and everything else. I think, I think Walton is carrying the entire film from an acting perspective. Like Walton Goggins is the best thing about this film from a performance. I, I think he's one of the best villains. Everything that you said about, think about his motivation. He's stuck on an Island for seven years. He hasn't seen his two daughters. He could care less if he is destroying the world. He just wants to go home. Yeah. And so that's, that's a yeah. pretty nuanced villain. I think. <clears throat> yeah. I, I, I maybe wanted, Walt should play Batman. <laughs> right, maybe I, I'd be down for that. I didn't want to. I didn't want to uh, bring up Nicolas Cage in this discussion, but I'm going to. Uh-oh. So, in National uh. Treasure, if you will, the kind of the 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 plot of that first one is him and Sean Bean are are out to you know get this thing, or is that the second one? Whatever, they're out to get something, and they're kind of racing around the world to find this object. And I think if they did that for this movie, if it's Goggins v. Laura Croft or Vogel v. Laura Croft, I think that is a better film that they're kind of racing around the world. Then you could like find these clues. You're going into this temple. You're going into this temple. You've got to, you know, maybe there's a double cross involved. It's just that makes like we want a globe trotting tomb raiding adventure. Um, this is like we're on an island and we're stuck here and there's only one tomb. And when we get inside of it, it's extremely dark and we can't really see, um, you know, I, I want, I want those tombs to be a better set piece than what we get. Like, I like the tomb stuff, but I wish I, I keep, and, and again, this is unfair too. like thinking about like last crusade, when you think about all the stuff they go through with that and how awesome that is, um, this doesn't even come close to any of that stuff. And, and that's not fair. Cause that's one of the best like tomb raiding films of all time, but it's, this one's not even like really that close. Um, and you're like, what this thing with the light? I'm like, I don't know how this mechanism works. Like, I need to kind of know how these puzzles work, so I know when she solves it. I'm like, oh, okay. Like, a person could logic their way through that. She's just like throwing these colors together, and you know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like we have to connect A to B to feel like there's satisfaction in solving the riddles or the puzzles or whatever it is. For, um, yeah. For a grounded film, there's elements that feel so supernatural and it's weird. It's the puzzle stuff. It's, it's like yeah. you're pulling this stuff out of thin air and you're like, well, wait a second. I, I thought I was dealing in more of like a reality based tomb Raider scenario, but then it takes these, I don't know, plot turns and you go, what's going on, man? And you just, yeah. okay, whatever. She's turning those things on the outside wall. She's just like clicking them around and you're like, oh, okay. I, I, yes, we alluded to that little box thing that you had at the very beginning that you spun, but I need more than that. I need more than that. Oh, 
Well, that was set up on the boat. So she, while they were on the boat, she had, uh, he had made, yeah. uh, Richard Croft had made the, uh, the model of that. So that's how she was able to like um, solve yeah. all that. But, but, um, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll say this. So Brad, you said you wanted more of a glow try. I like the Island setting. I, I mean, I got to tell you, so I, I just went through my list of things where I'm like, dude, this took me out of it. Like that camcorder thing. I, I probably should have paused for a minute, walked away and went, <laughs> man, that whole battery thing really annoyed me. But listen, that boat sequence in the storm, I think is freaking amazing. That shows up in the trailer. I think it's one of the best yeah. money shots visually. It is a great shot. I mean, fantastic composition of her diving into the water. And then you get these underwater shots that have a tinge mm. of horror elements to them. Yeah. And you're, you're just on the edge of your seat. I love that whole sequence. I love the entire airplane sequence. I do remember that from the video game. And I thought it was super exciting playing it in the video game. And I think in how they filmed it, it was just as exciting watching her kind of maneuver through that and uh, all the things that, you know, when, when it starts to kind of start to fall off the cliff, but then it's hanging and then she's about ready to fall out of the, the cockpit. She's reaching out for the the parachute. It's super, super tense. Now, the yeah. parachute CGI thing sort of takes the wind out. Yeah, of it. when she's flying through the uh, through the forest, that does not look pretty yeah. good. It, that, that's yeah, that's some shoddy, you know, special effects. But everything up to that looked fantastic. What's the James Bond film where Pierce Brosnan is going down this the snow in the parachutes? Or no, is, is it? Yeah, it's this. Are he's like on the the board and with the parachute? Yeah, on the ice, but he's. Whatever. Is it Die Another Day? That was Die Another Day. Yeah. Which, yeah. It doesn't look that bad, but it's just a step up <laughs> yeah. above that. And this is weird, but I loved watching her run around with a bow and arrow taking guys out. I wanted more of that. And yes, what's even yeah. more weird, I really liked watching her run. Like that girl's got speed. So when when you talk about her performance in terms of athleticism and handling the action scenes, et cetera, she is fantastic in this film. She puts everything into it. You can tell she's, you know, blood, sweat, and tears are going into the physicality of this role, and she does it really well. And uh, like I said, I, I, I liked, I liked Walton Goggins. I, I love Laura's first kill. Those are amazing scenes to me. I like the final showdown. Um, you talked about this, Jose. Everything within that tomb, I thought, was kind of cool. Outside of the the ludicrous, hey, we solved the puzzle it felt like more accident than anything, but I loved this final showdown where she is so committed to him not escaping and you get sort of this brutal choreography. I was afraid she was going to start doing like the black widow flippy things. Let me do, you know, my, my feet around your head and do all this stuff around. But there was some of that, but that's, they introduced that in the beginning. Yeah. Well, but there was a little bit of the, it's, it's a good example of when she tries to implement it, it looks more MMA ish to where it is sort of a ground and pound kind of, uh, style. And those two are going toe to toe. And for, you know, the whole, I would say beginning and middle, you, you don't, she does, you clearly see she doesn't have an advantage here, even with her MMA training or whatever she's she's evenly matched with this guy and and i really like that showdown i just i love the fact that she just kicks that ladder away and it was like we'll figure out how i'm gonna get back but you're you're not going anywhere um i, I love yeah. that sequence well it, also the guy's jumps right in her face and then she just decides 
all right, the best thing I got to do is just punch this guy right in the dick. Yeah. Like, that'll get <laughs> yeah. you every it's time. street fighting. I mean, you, you get street <laughs> fighting in the tomb, and I, I, I like the sort of brutal, honest choreography that goes on. So I, I'll say this. I still had a lot of fun with it. I never saw it in the theater. It was – I saw it on uh, 4K – you know, in my in my home theater, the Atmos soundtrack on this thing's fantastic, and and it looks great in 4K. It's a it's a pretty film, but you know, ultimately, I I enjoy watching it, but I'm watching this thing going, man, I wish Angelina Jolie was in this. Like, I I never said I never said that once. Yeah, <laughs> I, because and and not from how do I say this. Maybe not Angelina Jolie per se, but I wanted, I wanted her personality. Her personality, her. yes. Like I want, I want, I want Vikander's athleticism and her intensity, in in the key components. But I want the personality of the previous Laura Croft and those other two Tomb Raider films to come through on this. Or, you know, put Nick Frost on that island. Give me, give me something for her to play against because. It, it wasn't working outside of that. Well, again, I feel like so there are parts there are parts of that person of Jolie's personality that are starting to be created in V. Condor's performance in this. So, you know, I maybe I'm just too much of a fan of the Jolie ones. But if you watch that first Tomb Raider again over and over, well, not over and over. If you watch it again, I watched it over <laughs> and over. Um you know, there are these scenes where she will smirk or laugh at the camera in the middle of some action scene as if her character is, you know, getting off on just the fun of the action of it. And and you see some of that, like, smartness in the Nick Frost scenes where she's doing that yes. whole, like, confident, yeah. like, you know, smart ass, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But remember, she's on her way to the full-blown Lara Croft personality. That's why I sort of cut her performance a little bit of slack. But but yeah, I did I did kind of miss that because you know, Angelina in that first movie, I mean, just watching her expressions in certain scenes, I mean, it's just it's a joy to see her character having fun even in these life-risking situations. Um yeah, but you know, each of the Tomb Raider movies have all been supernatural tinged in some ways. So, like the first one, they turn back time, remember, and she's like turning the the knife around so she doesn't get stabbed. The second one, there were those little demons coming out of the Pandora's box. So, you know, I know that some people were like, "Oh, the Hohimiko thing," and then they were like, they turned into rage zombies. And I'm like, well, but there's been precedent for that before, not only in the video games but in the the Jolie movies. So that didn't really take me out of it. Um, or anything, but I just, uh, I don't know. Maybe no, I was I, a little more forgiving. No, I'm with you. I, you. When you go into these kind of films, it, it, like I said, as soon as he goes through the myth, you go, oh, we're going to run into something that has some CGI or, uh, you know, physics are going to go out the door to some degree because that's how these movies work. I get it. I, right. To me, this film, if you go in there and you go, whoa, there were no surprises. Uh, I, I didn't get a big twist. Dude, you stop. Look, this film yeah, is it's all, not, it's, it's it's all about the journey, not the destination. So if you're not going to do anything interesting with the story, if you're not going to present uh, something that's groundbreaking, then you have to rely on 
hey, we're going to do the same thing that like 70 other movies have done, but what is going to make it fun? What's going to be your take on it? And is it going to be interesting enough for the next two hours to say, we're going after the MacGuffin. This is what's going to happen. Some supernatural. You're going to get out of the tomb. At no point in time did I ever think she was going to die. So, right. <laughs> okay, then how good is the journey on the destination? That's what you're grading this thing. So now you're left with performances. You're left with the action sequences. How good does it look? Uh, what was the pacing like? What was the editing like? I, I mean, I, I sit here and go, well, there's nothing original with the story. Well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't mark that as a negative. I'd just be like, oh, we're watching one of these kind of movies, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I, I was surprised at how little I felt that the impact of music helped any of this stuff. Again, yeah. kind of like Warcraft. I'm like, I don't remember any scene that was heightened because the music was like so intense or boating or anything like that. It was just... There's no good theme. There's, there's yeah. not a good Laura Croft theme when she's like... Yeah. When she yeah. goes into action and you're like, oh, that's the Laura Croft theme that I don't think that exists yeah. here, or at least it's not memorable. And, and you. like you had, you had hinted at, you had not hinted, but you, you talked about her kind of stalking people in the forest with the bow and arrow. Like, I wish there was more of that stuff too. Cause like, that's a part of who she is now. This, you know, she's the survivalist and she's using her surroundings. It's the inner predator. Like she's setting traps and yeah. all this stuff. And, we don't get to see that enough. And again, like last week, like if they make a Warcraft two, I would probably see it because I think they've got all the crap out of the way. Uh, this is this kind of the same way. Like we got that or I can't, I kind of, I'm getting to the point where I hate origin stories. I believe, like, I, I <laughs> but it's everything. It's everything's an origin story now. Well, like, it's kind is of annoying. Now. Yeah. I don't need. I don't need to know why this person is out getting. You know, look. I hate to bring up Indiana Jones again, but I'm going to Indiana Jones's origin story was the first 15 minutes of the last crusade. It was the, of the last film is the first 15 to 20 minutes. And we kind of got just this little sort of snippet of why he is Indiana Jones. If they can do that to Indiana Jones, we we're all right with Laura Croft, not getting a full first two and a half, you know, acts of a film as her origin story. And finally at the end, we get to be in tombs. Like, it just doesn't work for me. I, I'm with you. I'll say this. I'll, I'll take an origin story if I feel like it progresses to where we're going. So here's the thing. This character, Laura Craft, and, and this is where you and I will probably disagree, Jose, is that you see elements of what she's going to become. I don't. I just see somebody who can, you know, parkour the shit out of anything. So, and that's, that's fantastic. I like watching it and she's awesome running and she can take people down left and right with the bow and arrow, but I don't see it. If this was supposed to be the prequel to the other two films that, you know, Angelina Jolie's character, that's the end point. These are two entirely different people. In my opinion, I I don't see any of that. And even with the Nick Frost, you get hints of it, but it's still nothing as charming in terms of performance wise of what Angelina did in the first two films. So again, yeah. it's unfair to judge this one against those. Cause I think they're going for some, you know, it's, that's kind of like saying, well, let's take the uh, Batman begins and, and you know what? I don't think that Batman is going to turn into the Batman 66. Well, okay. It's two different takes on the character. Right. I get true, it. True. I get it. But still, I, I just, I didn't, I didn't want to watch the same one note performance for two hours. I wanted something different from her. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. 
By the way, her personal trainer is a gentleman named Magnus Lindenbach. Um, he also Magnus. got Gal Gadot into shape for Wonder Woman. He's a great personal trainer. Um, his nutrition stuff is pretty sound too. Um, Chicken and broccoli. Yeah. I mean, she is like <laughs> to say that she is fit in this movie is an understatement. It is like a marvel of just how yeah. ungodly chiseled she is in this movie. Like I, she has muscles on her arm. I didn't know those muscles existed until I, I saw know. her arm. And it like, was they show her back one time. And you're like, holy crap! She can lift a car above her head. Yeah, yeah, it's impressive. Yeah. Oh. She threw herself into this. And speaking of speaking of five minute appearances, um, the woman at the boxing ring, Hannah. Hannah John Kamen, um, the actress, she was in, she played Ghost in Ant-Man and the Wasp. Um, she's on Killjoys, but she was the friend that was like yelling at her oh, and whatever yeah, yeah. in the beginning. She's in it for literally four minutes. And I think I read somewhere too that that the the coach, Terry, is an actual boxing coach that they had uh, brought in. Um, he's known apparently on the London scene. Um, yeah, anyway. Yeah, I, I, like I said, I... I I enjoyed the action in this film. I will say this. I, I think the action is done. It needed more. It I needed think. more of certain aspects of it. I, I'm kind of with you, Brad. It's look, if it's give me either puzzles that make sense to solve or give me more of this action sequences. Uh, even if you're climbing around that look intense or running around with the bow and arrow, I, I would have liked a little bit more of that. Yeah, I mean, even like I think the the plane scene. We didn't really talk about the plane scene, but I think that is a cool like oh, it sets awesome. a lot of tension. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, again, we know that she's going to be all right, but you you want to feel like oh maybe she's not. You know, like there you always want to have that second guess, like oh this could go real bad. How are they going to get out? What is she going to do? Um, you know, we we see this rusted plane, and you're like. I don't know if you should be standing on that wing for so long. Um, so that makes sense. Uh, I, I'm kind of, I, I want that origin story of that plane. Maybe, maybe I do want an origin story of the plane. Like what happened? How did it get there? Right. Yeah, exactly. I, this sounds weird, but as soon as I saw sort of that five to one ratio of special effects to stunts, I was super worried. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I don't want to say it turned out kind of as I expected, but I really would have liked to them to kind of go, okay, instead of doing a big CGI parachute sequence or whatever, could they have done like, okay, we're, we're going to get it down to maybe three to one ratio and then take that other money and hire more stunt people and come up with some cool way of her falling through the trees or something that looked more realistic. But again, it, it, you're right, Brad, that, that plane sequence is amazing and visually looked great, but then it turned into sort of a, a CGI crap fest but then it yeah. picked back up again. So yeah, I, and then I I think that shot, the parachute shot, I think is a problem. And then I think her running out of the tomb at the very end is a problem. Um, I think it looks very cartoony when she's running through some yeah. of that stuff. Um, well, that's what I think. They I think the, the special effects after that. Off. Yeah, yeah. I think after I think besides those, I think the special effects in this movie are great. I mean, that boat scene is oh, it's amazing. Dude, yeah, it's, it's really good. It's really like watching good. a painting come to life, like a scary painting come to life. It's really cool. The perfect story. It's weird that you. It's weird that you mentioned that the. It's weird that you mentioned that the music wasn't as pumped up. The composer is Junkie XL, or also known as uh, Tom Holkenberg, who scored like Mad Max Fury Road. Scored. Um, actually, he was the original scorer on Justice League until he was fired. 
um, along with Zack Snyder, apparently. And then Danny Elfman took over those duties. But if you saw the Justice, the Snyder cut, um, uh, Hulkenberg actually released his score for the Snyder cut. And it is it's amazing. It's it's probably as awesome as the Fury Road, which is strange considering that the music here is not what I would think it would be from a Junkie XL um, soundtrack point of view, right? Did, like, I, I thought it would be pumped up a little bit more, but it's actually a little subdued. Yeah. Sound. Did you just bring up Chunky XL because you wanted to talk about Army of the Dead again? Because I think he did that, the sound for that, the music for that. He did. Yeah. Oh, boy. He did that. Just <laughs> no more time to Army of the Dead. Nope, that's out. Well, is it time for the question? Yeah, that's I want an Army of the Dead television show. Anyway, I'm sorry. Oh my god, you're gonna get one, right? Aren't they making a television? Is it one of the characters? I thought they like were this? making another sequel. I I don't know I if they were doing, doing a television. Apparently, show. it did really well on Netflix, so they're doing a yeah. sequel. So, speaking of Netflix, Ruar Ultag's next movie is something called Troll, and it kind of sounds like a Norwegian kaiju movie. Ooh, I'm in. Yeah, you don't About piss like on hospitality. Big- <laughs> about like a big troll that escapes and wreaks havoc in Norway. So that. he's actually working on it right now. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to start with you, Jose. Uh, once again, you brought the thunder on another episode. Uh, I love it. Thanks. But we had fun talking about 2018's Tomb Raider. So I'm going to ask you the question and you got to justify it, right? You're closing arguments here. Okay. But uh, is Tomb Raider a bomb? It is not a bomb. It may be flawed. It may be overlong. There may be issues with audience expectations over Lara Croft herself and the action, um, but it is not a bomb. It is a good, solid opening first chapter. I can't wait for the sequel. All right. I like it. I like it. All right, Brad, your pick. Is this film a bomb? Yeah, I will agree with Jose. I, I don't think this is a bomb. I think this is a nice seven out of 10 movie where it's maybe six and a half out of 10, where it's just okay. Um, I wanted it to be like, definitely like a nine for sure. Like I I wanted it to get there. It just never does. Again, this like last week, it suffers for like the first act is just atrocious. Um, I think this one recovers a little bit better because we're focusing on a few characters. Um, Walton Goggins is an amazing villain. Um, and I think Alicia Vikander is is decent at her lore crafting. I wish Dominic West, as much as I love Dominic West, I wish he wasn't in this movie. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I if if they announce a a sequel to this movie, I know they've said it's it's coming. Um, it hasn't been greenlit yet. I will see it. I, I will be right there to see what how the continuing adventures of Laura Croft go. So not a bomb. Okay. Well, let's just go ahead and make it a, a three, right? So I'm I'm going to say it's not a bomb as well. It has all the action and uh, it has all the action and adventure of a good Indiana Jones film or the good pieces of an Indiana Jones film. It by no means am I trying to compare it to Raiders or anything like that. The, the thing that it's missing, I think, is the charm uh, that some of those films bring. I still overall enjoyed revisiting this. I think the first two Tomb Raiders benefit from Angelina Jolie, whereas the set pieces aren't as memorable. And it's weird with this one. I think this film benefits from all of the amazing set pieces, especially like the boat and uh, the airplane and the things that we talked about. 
but um, Alicia is isn't as interesting a Laura Croft as I found Angelina Jolie. Now again, I don't want to see Angelina Jolie per se in this film. I just wanted to see a little bit more personality or something other than that sort of intense. I've been eating chicken and broccoli for you know forty days and I miss my dad. I wanted something other than that performance, but I, I would still recommend this film. I think it's it's a really good action adventure film. I'm with you, Brad. If I if I had to rate it on a scale, I'd probably put it in like the six and a half to seven. So it's okay to make an okay film. Like it, not it everything is. has to be like a yeah. great film. Okay, I, I'm, is- I'm with you guys. I'm ready for the sequel. I really I really hope that comes to fruition. <laughs> although I I have my doubts. I, I really do. Yeah, I think it's not- I think it's happening. I think I it's happening. I don't know, man. Finding finding a hundred million dollars to make a sequel is going to be hard. I yeah, I just it, and if and if it does happen, I don't I don't think it's going to have the same budget. Yeah, probably uh, not. I was looking over my history of the show, and Jose, I think you what? have been, this is your fourth episode. I have Showgirls, Dragons Forever, yeah, Brainstorm, yes. And now no one, Tomb Raiders. Yeah, yeah, no one on any of your shows has named anything a bomb. So I think you're the only oh, not wow. a bomb host, host to have nothing has been a bomb since you've been on the show. Yeah, we don't disagree. Huh. That's kind of crazy. I like it. Well, you will just have to um, um, wait a minute. What is this? What? Um, you will just have to have me on more often to increase the odds of me saying <laughs> I like it. It's well, a bomb. <laughs> You're coming in October, and I can already tell you. It'll be fun. It'll be fun. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. next week, my pick, right? Okay. So we, we've we're good. This will be our last video game film, and I thought, man, we got we got to go back early. We've been talking about a more recent stuff. So we did Mortal Kombat and Mortal Kombat Annihilation. We did Warcraft. We did Tomb Raider. Brad, I think we need to go old school. So. I'm going to pick now we've one of the actors in this film has already been on the show and we had a lot of fun talking about this film. Uh, so I thought let's find another reason to talk about Mark Dacascus. So we're going to talk about double dragon next week. And I love that movie. Scott I, Wolf. Yes. Alyssa, yes. Milano. Alyssa Milano. Yes. Robert yep. Patrick. Yeah, I'm hoping yep. I'm I'm trying to negotiate a guest for this one, and specifically a guest. I'm not going to announce who, but I'll give you a, a little, I don't know, hint. This person is the only person that I know has actually beat the arcade, the stand-up arcade of Double Dragon on one quarter. Ooh! So on one quarter, one quarter. Wow, that's never happened. It that that guest doesn't exist. It happened. <laughs> So this is also one of the films I think is funny because I believe I've, I've seen this movie recently. Uh, it takes place in 2007. So yeah. it's like one of those films that we the have future. surpassed <laughs> in real time. And 2007 was a long time ago. But anyway. Yeah, this will be fun. I don't know if it's streaming anywhere. I know MVD Rewind Collection yeah. put a pretty uh, significant yeah. Blu-ray out there that is reasonably priced. I, I, I picked mine up on like a 50% off sale. So yeah, I got mine for like 17 bucks or something like that. Oh, I got mine. I cheaper. think it's true. I think it's streaming on prime, but oh, I is? have it on, I have it on Blu-ray. There you go. Um, and 
You know, so you know how I did my embarrassing stalking thing and found stunt people to like talk to or whatever. Uh-huh. My favorite stunt woman, I actually did have a couple conversations with her over the phone and we had friends in common. Um, but she doubled Lash in Double Dragon. Oh. Um, the the blonde with the whip. Yeah. And she actually clued me into this. Whenever you see Lash in the beginning, like with the with the hood on or whatever, it's actually Trisha Peters, the stunt woman because they didn't have enough money to fly the actress out to the Philippines. So they were just like, well, you're the stunt double, you do it. And they filmed her doing all that stuff in the, the it's in the prologue, I think, when she's like trying to get the, the the double dragon or whatever. So she's like, yep, that's that's me for all those minutes in the Philippines. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Well, I can't wait to see. I haven't Weird seen connection. this since, I got, I don't know, 30 years. I mean, it's gonna be crazy. Oh, I watched it recently. It's, um, You'll have fun. I love. I love the movie. I'm. I'm never going to say it's an awful. Listen, thing. listener, if you're going to watch, <laughs> just count how many karate moves Scott Wolf does in the whole movie. Just, just, <laughs> just for count. fun. Just for fun. Just for count. Because I bet it's not more than what's on your right hand. Okay. Your fingers on your right hand. Uh, hey, it's been a it's been a pretty productive week in terms of feedback oh, on boy. the socials and everything else, and we've oh, had a lot boy. of fun between Cowboy Bebop and. Warcraft mm. and stuff like that, but Brad and you said some things. I said some things. You said some things, but somebody sent an email on some things we said, right? Yeah, this is from our from our good friend Nathan. Said the the subject line: Harry Potter sucks? Question mark. First word. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Troy's right on Harry Potter. I remember airing my grievances on half half blood. I think it's half blooded half blooded prince and told. And being told it's better than if you read the book, which I hate. Yeah. Um, I mentioned that to Troy at the time, and he made the point that any movie should be able to stand on its own. That's right. I, I think the movies stand on their own. But anyway, um, I also have not read the books. Is it nostalgia for the books leading to more leniency for the films? Also, it looks like Order of the Phoenix lost, quote unquote, lost money. I'm not sure if you want to revisit that one. And then he sent a link. Yes. And uh, uh, Order of the Phoenix suffers from what we call Hollywood accounting. Yeah. Which, uh, we will get into at some point in time because it is fascinating. Yeah. So what Brad mm. and I have talked about, because I totally forgot about this article. And thank you, Nathan. So I do want to go back and revisit. I, I don't I don't think the movies suck. I just don't think they're that great to the level that everybody talks about. But I, I do want to go back and revisit because I've only seen them one time through. But that article, so what you talked about, Brad, and this is right in our wheelhouse too, is it it really talks about how Warner Brothers took almost, uh, gosh, how much money did that film end up making? Like almost a billion dollars? Almost or? a billion dollars. Yeah, $942 million. Yeah. It, it, I'm surprised it wasn't $2 billion. Yeah. yeah. What happened was is, you, is if you tracked it and how much money it was actually making, it almost made a billion dollars. But then a, a memo where the actual accounting spreadsheet got out and Warner Brothers was showing that it lost $180 million. So what we're going to do is we're going to use that as an excuse to bring that movie on the show because technically on yeah. the books it was a bomb. So that means we can talk about it according to our rules and our code. And we're going to walk people through what we know of write-offs and accounting. It's going to be, for us, a fascinating. It will uh, be fascinating. Yes. Uh, we're going to make it fun. But, I'll, yeah. 
I first oh, heard you're about right. I leaked first financial heard, documents. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, the leak that you can actually look at the financial statements and things like that too. So we can go line by line. Uh, but the first time I heard um, of the phrase Hollywood accounting is when actors would want points on the end. Yes. So then you would you would essentially make it to the where the you're like, well, there is no money. This movie lost 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 money. We can't pay you any points. There are no points. Um, that was the first time I heard it, and I started looking into it. And they do it quite a bit. Um, yeah. It's it's pretty, and I I had not realized because I didn't look into it. I'm like, oh, all the Harry Potter movies made money, and then you look at this one, and you're like, oh, they will tell you that it lost money for some strange reason. Yeah, so. we we got the trick to this though is to find a way to explain it to somebody who isn't close to accounting. Um, and if you can find the article, the article actually does a really good job of using like a lemonade stand analogy lemonade stand, yep, yep. And, and it makes sense, but it's a great article it actually references some famous movies that, um, when you think about it, like return of the Jedi made all this money. Nope. On, on the books, it's a financial loss. And to Brad's point, they're doing that so that they don't have to pay people residuals or points. So it's crazy. Yeah, or, or also you have another film that made a billion dollars. And if you can somehow write off some of the Harry Potter stuff, uh, then you can pay less of taxes and all. It's, oh, it's, crazy. it's gross. It's gross. But that's yeah. shameful. It's shameful is what it, it is sounds shameful, like. But that's corporations <laughs> but, in Hollywood. I mean, but you know, Troy, I think, I think you and Brad have said this many, many times on the podcast Movie making, you know, we have all these lofty ambitions about being filmmakers. Movie making is a business. And it sometimes is. all that matters is the bottom line, especially with the big studio pictures. So, yeah. Hey, that's for me, terrible. it's the most interesting topic, obviously, because we're doing a podcast. But what I find interesting about it and why, you know, Brad and I wanted to do the whole not a bomb concept is, I mean, movies and TV are the it's it's the one piece of art where commerce matters just as much as the artistic output because you don't get to do more artistic output unless the commerce is there. Mm -hmm. So right. the starving artist thing does not apply in Hollywood because if you're a starving artist in Hollywood, you're not working in Hollywood. So what I always find fi fascinating is it's, it's product that's created by committee, but it's also artistic in nature and then it has to meet the needs of the business line and to do that successfully and sort of hit all the check boxes for that scenario, it, it's super hard to do. It really is. Yeah. So that's why I love. There's not a lot of Nolans. Movies. There's not, and even Nolan, There's, I think, missteps. So no, I mean, yeah. and, and it's funny. I thought when I was growing up that like David Fincher would just make movie after movie after movie all the time, and he would just be in my life. And you go years and years without seeing a David Fincher film. It's because like he's tired of some of this Hollywood crap or he can't yeah. get financing. Yeah. Or so he'll make, you know, or, or they won't let him do what exactly what he wants to do. You're yes. Like, it's David Fincher. Why are you not letting well, because David like, Fincher be David Fincher? David Fincher. Could you make seven two? maybe call it eight? Yeah. And he's like, I don't yeah. want to do that. And they're like, because, well, we don't have any money for right. you then. <laughs> because girl, the dragon tattoo wasn't like this huge success. And they're like, okay, well you're out. Yeah. I'm like this guy, like literally made some of the most important films post 1999. And we're, just, uh, it's crazy. It's crazy to me. It is. I want Fincher to finish the Millennium series. I really do want him to finish. I, I wish they would let him do it. Maybe Netflix will let him do it. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I don't think. Also back to Harry. Also back to Harry Potter. Harry Potter and the Half Blood Prince. I think 
aside from one errant shot, um, it's a perfectly filmed movie. Really? Bruno Delvinel is the cinematographer. That movie, perfectly shot, except for one rough insert, which was thrown in there. It was like agony. But then everything else is just beautifully shot. Is it Half-Blood Prince or Half-Blooded Prince? I don't know. I think it's Half-Blood. Okay. I think it's Half-Blood Prince. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, Brad, if anybody else wants to send us a recommendation or wants to tell us their thoughts on Tomb Raider 2018 or the other Tomb Raider films, how do they get a hold of us? Uh, that's not a bomb pod at gmail.com. You can reach us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Um, we're going to do spooky season again this year. I'm oh, yeah. very excited about that. Super excited. Maybe Jose will be on again in October. Actually, yay. Maybe. He is. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you want to hear us talk about Cowboy Bebop, you can listen to Not a Bomb Watches, which is on this feed. Um, we are almost halfway there. We're almost to end of the first season. So Troy and Sammy are making their way through. Uh, we, had, we, we hit one rough episode and Troy. I had a mental breakdown. I apologize. He, yeah. he cried like a little girl with a skinned knee, but uh, we're, oh, we're okay. I was crying. I was just really you, upset. I was really upset. So if you're playing along with that, I believe we are watching – Toys in the Attic, which is episode 11, and Jupiter Jazz Part 1, which is uh, session 12. And then we will, after that, um, we'll be, got one more one more episode of season one, and then we'll hit season two. So, yep. So we're going to be doing five scary movies in October because we got five Sundays. So we're excited about that. And, uh, yeah. but listen, we're getting way ahead of ourselves. Go grab your Nintendo, play some Double Dragon. And, you know, watch Mark Dacascus kick people in the face and then come back watch here. Watch Scott Wolf stand around. Yeah, watch him stand around. But come back next week and we're going to have a blast and hopefully get this guest on here uh, to talk about our last video game film, which certainly bombed like across the board. So this one's going to be interesting. Uh, but as always, Jose, I can't thank you enough. I know you're a super busy guy. I mean, you work like seven days a week. So to take a couple of Don't hours, remind me. yeah, to take a couple hours out of your busy schedule and come hang with us, I, we can't thank you enough, man. It's it's always a pleasure. Can't wait for thank you your pick in October too. I'm excited. Ooh, I'm excited too. Thank you so much. It's always a blast being on. Love it. Yeah, we love it. Love it. <laughs> All right, folks. Well, listen. I don't know if you downloaded this and are listening in the morning, the afternoon, or evening. I hope you're having an awesome day. Check back with us a week from today and listen to Double Dragon. We'll see you later. All orcs look the same. You had to go there. Okay. <laughs>